straight ahead with the 606 Club from Midnight Wednesday.
Welcome back to Straight Ahead Jazz and Conversation with myself, David, and London's leading music venue, the 606 Club. This week's opener was the long-awaited live recording from Omar and QCBA. QCBA, of course, are friends of the show saxophonist Brandon Allen and trumpeter Quentin Collins. Next to play is Kat Eaton, who was with us earlier this week. In the five years since she came to London from her native Sheffield, Kat has established herself as a singer and songwriter of talent. Her influences include Janis Joplin, Joe Cocker, Tom Waits and Bonnie Raitt, and those influences can clearly be heard in her music. Kat has just released her debut record, Talk To Me, songs from which she showcased at the club this week, along with her band, which comprised of Nick Atkinson on guitar, Joe Glossop on piano, John Cox on bass and Sebastian Hankins was on the drums. And here is Kat with Barricade.
guest on this week's show is saxophonist and singer Kim Seifer. Kim was in sparkling form when we sat down a week or so ago, and you'll be hearing from her and plenty of her music in a short while's time on this week's Straight Ahead. But let's listen next to the title track from the latest set from Fiona Ross. This is Red Flags and High Heels.
We have loads of great music to bring you on straight ahead, including numbers from artists with us this week, Ruben Fox, Lizzie Dean and Dan Reinstein. All of that, plus we'll be topping up our festive cheer with a couple of Christmas numbers too. And another artist with us this weekend is Swedish-born Cecilia Stalin. Cecilia has built a great reputation as a singer and songwriter. Actually, actually, you'll have heard Cecilia's voice on Max Factor ads on the TV as well. Her performance credits include live shows with The Streets, Alicia Dixon, the Cinematic Orchestra, Omar and many, many more besides. Lately, she's been splitting her time between the UK and Brazil and the gig on Sunday is to launch the vinyl release of her third full-length album, I Am, which Cecilia describes as her most personal album so far. Accompanying Cecilia that evening will be her longtime band members Ed Riches on guitar, Alex Bennett on piano, Jansen Santana on percussion, Tom Mason on bass and Laurie Lowe on drums. And here is a track from that album, Sun God.
So not long now until we get to meet this week's guest, saxophonist and singer Kim Cypher. But first of all, the first of our two Christmas songs on this week's Straight Ahead. I mentioned we're going to be getting a bit of festive cheer into the show. And this is one of my favourite artists of the moment, Jose James and his take on Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. A merry little Christmas Let your heart be light From now on our troubles Will be out of sight Have yourself A merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide gay From now on, our troubles will be miles away. Yes, they will now. Here we are, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us. Once more Through the years We all will be together If the fates allow Hang a shining star Upon the highest bough And have yourself Merry little Christmas now Merry 
Jose James and have yourself a merry little Christmas. And we've got another Christmas song to come before the end of this week's show. Lizzie Dean is a favourite of ours here at The Six and not surprising with her deeply soulful voice, warm persona and infectious performance style. A highly regarded and in-demand session vocalist, her many influences include Aretha Franklin, James Brown and the Jacksons and probably best known at the club as the vocalist with saxophonist Dave Lewis's band One Up. She also has worked with the likes of Carlene Anson, Misha Paris, Jocelyn Brown, Pee Wee Ellis, Boy George and Belinda Carlisle at some CV. With her own album Set Me Free, she's about to make a real, real impact on the UK scene. And here is Lizzie with Have a Party. So 
And don't forget all of the gigs that I'm mentioning. Well, you can find out further details about them over on our website, 606club.co.uk. Okay, it's time now that we get to meet our guest this week, saxophonist and vocalist Kim Cypher. And we're going to start the interview off with a really uplifting number from Kim, and it's all for you. Straight ahead, jazz and conversation. the time 
So I mentioned a little earlier on that this week I was going to be joined by singer, vocalist, saxophonist, clarinetist, you name it. Kim, Kim Siver, how are you? Hi there. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm ever so good. And uh, thank you for finding the time to speak with us. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me along. That's it, it looks like you've been ever so busy recently, actually, looking at... I know socials can sometimes paint a picture you want it to paint, but it does look like you've been very, very busy. Actually, you do catch me um, coming out of what's been a very, very busy weekend. Um, and it's been my birthday weekend. Hey, happy oh, birthday. Yeah. I'm not going to sing. That would ruin the interview from the get-go. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it has been literally non-stop gigging um, all over my birthday, which is just how I like it, actually. So, yeah, a really good weekend. So before we get into sort of the, the actual interview, are you finding that your diary and the gigs are looking good and healthy again now? It, yeah, it, it's kind of definitely picked up. I think confidence is definitely restoring um, and it's great to be back in some of the jazz clubs and to mm. see audiences there, which is great. Um, but we have had quite a lot of gigs cancel over Christmas, quite a lot of our, our biggest Really? Gigs. Yeah. So any, it's a bit mixed. Any reasons being given? I think um, a lot of them are sort of big events that happen annually. And I think the general feeling is that pe- um, the big sort of hotels are a bit nervous to put on events that may be slightly substandard to normal because they're having to comply, obviously, with COVID regulations and everything. So they're kind of um, taking the view that they'll, they'll wait until they can go back to their normal sort of all mm. thing, all dancing um, big events. You know? but, but the club scene you're finding is quite healthy again now then? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, touch wood, our um, diary is is looking good in terms of the jazz clubs and my sort of tour gigs. Um, so no complaints there. And it's it's absolutely amazing to be back out there and, you know, playing music and, and seeing everybody again. It's brilliant. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about you and growing up. And I know you started as quite a youngster, about age nine. Now, is that singing, keyboards, recorder, sax? What did you actually start on? Oh, well, you know, I started on all the, the usual things, really. You know, I was given a recorder at school. Um, and then my mum and dad actually um, bought myself and my sister a piano. Um, neither of us um, had lessons. We didn't know what to do, but we kind of instinctively just played it. Um, and then sort of proper um, learning of an instrument was um, clarinet to start with at school. Um, and then it just kind of developed from there to lead on to playing the saxophone. Uh, and the singing came much later, actually. Oh, I would have thought singing would have come at the start. You surprised me. Well, I've always loved singing and I've always sat at the piano and, and composed songs and sang along and always thought, you know, it, it sounds OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess because I went down the route of being a, a clarinetist and a saxophonist, I never really regarded myself as a singer. Um, and it was only quite recently um, that I sort of had a light bulb moment, really, where um, I was bringing in other singers to work with me. Um, and one day I just thought, well, hold, hold on a minute. <laughs> Why not? Songs, yeah. Um, but it was kind of getting the confidence, I think, really, to regard myself as a singer as well as an instrumentalist. So it, it definitely has evolved over the years. And, and now I definitely um, sort of regard myself as both. Mm. So with the, the reed instruments then, was it clarinet, sax? What did you find the easiest to take to? Well, I mean, clarinet obviously was my first instrument and, and I loved it because I just loved the freedom of playing an instrument, you know, something to express myself on. But I guess if I'm totally honest, I was a little bit frustrated 
with the clarinet and and a little bit frustrated, I think, with the kind of the, the grades that I was doing because it was sort of classical. <laughs> and I sort of knew that that wasn't really where I was at. I was looking for an instrument that was um, a bit more you know, funky. And a, bit a bit more free form. Yeah. And so um, it was only when I kind of um, found the sax that I thought, oh, hold on a minute, this is fantastic. You know, and I kind of went off piste a little bit from the, the you know, the sort of the grades and that kind of thing and just, um, you know, found my own thing. So the teachers, I mean, because obviously they are fairly, it's a bad pun coming, I warn you, instrumental <laughs> in the development of a youngster. So starting off with the, I mean, the, your early teachers, did they understand that you had this desire for the devil music, for the jazz? Did they kind of buy it or were they very much it's the classical route or no route? Well, I think they did. But obviously, at the same time, they wanted to get me through the system, you know, with um, qualifications and that kind of thing. And I, I was studying music A-level at the time as well. Um, but I was very lucky because the school I went to, they had like a wind band and it was, you know, playing some some pretty good stuff that mm. I quite like. Um, and then I also went out and joined the Gloucestershire Youth Jazz Orchestra. Because, of course, you were Chelton born and bred, weren't you? Yeah, so uh, living in Cheltenham at the time, um, and so I joined the Gloucestershire Youth Jazz Orchestra where I met my husband on drums. And I mean, that was just opened my eyes really, you know, to this this great music and getting out with people and playing. It was great. You know, I've said it before on the, these interviews that the county bands up and down the country, they are the gr- grassroots of so much great music and musicians that come out of them. They really need to have so much plaudits lauded over them. They are such a breeding ground for musicians, aren't they? Absolutely. And I mean, it was so much fun as well. And I, I remember going on tours, you know, we'd go away and, and it was just a community. And actually, you know, our parents as well were part of that community and we'd all travel around together and it was just absolutely brilliant. And of course, you, as we said, were born and bred in Cheltenham. And that's where you did your degree as well, wasn't it? I did. Yeah, I was kind of... Um, I, it took me a while to sort of find my way in life, I think. Um, I mean, I'd met my my husband. Obviously, we weren't married at the time, but we were in a sort of um, a steady relationship. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life <laughs> because, I, you know, I knew I was creative. I loved music. I loved art. But I never really realised that I could have that as a career. So I was a bit lost in, and I actually went and worked in a bank for a year which I hated. <laughs> yeah, the, the two career paths could not be more diversified, could they? The creative well, idea. <laughs> it was just, I kind of, I don't know, I didn't really know what else to do, but had, working in a bank for a year made me realise that I definitely didn't want to, to, to get a job like, like that. Um, it just wasn't me. So then I ended up going to college for four years and um, it was a teacher training degree. So I thought maybe I could be a primary school teacher, but it was specialising in the expressive arts. So I really enjoyed that. And um, I got involved in not only music, but also some acting and some photography and some dance, you know, all things expressive, really. So, yeah, it was really good fun. So it sounds like arts are very much in your DNA and blood. Were your mum and dad into performing at all of any kind? Oh, my dad was, he was a drummer in the Boys Brigade. Um, and my mum, funnily enough, she, she was um, the manageress of um, our local cinema, the Odeon Cinema, mm-hmm. although she wasn't sort of directly. Oh, the good old Odeons. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a creative job. And I, I mean, I, she got me in there working. I was an usherette. And, and, you know, it was really creative just to be in that environment and seeing all the films and then um, checking out all the film posters. It was it was quite a creative thing to, to do, really. So I, I guess, um, you know, both my parents were sort of fairly creative. Yeah. And so I know you had the hiatus of the years in the wilderness as a, a school teacher. 
what was it that led you out of the wilderness and back into the world of music? What was the, the presumably there was some moment when it all changed for you, an opportunity came your way, and oftentimes musicians they just decide this is the moment I've got to give it my everything. Yeah, I think there were probably a, a couple of things, but I mean, first of all, I I just want to say that you know I absolutely loved being a primary school teacher. And especially when I was really lucky because um, they kind of tailor made a job for me and I ended up working part time just teaching music. So I was head of music in a primary school, which was mm. quite a rare thing. Mm. And I absolutely loved that job. So it wasn't that um, I didn't like the job that kind of led me out of it. It was more the frustration that I knew I wanted to get out there doing my own music and my husband did as well. And we were trying to run these, you know, professional careers alongside trying to get out gigging as much as we could. And we trying to break into the London jazz scene. And it, if I'm honest, it was just all too much. Yeah. You know, we'd work through the week, then we'd be out gigging on the road at the weekends. And, and it was just too much. But we kind of got on with it. But I guess the, the light bulb moment again was um, I sadly lost my mum quite suddenly and unexpectedly. Um, and it was just this moment of realization that actually life can change in a split second. And you know what? Life is just actually too short. And from that moment on, I just realized that you've got to follow dreams in life and you've got to just take a chance and just go for it because, you know, you can't live with that regret of never having gone for it. And that should actually be the, the takeaway from this interview. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if you're given a chance, if there's something you fancy, like try, uh, a goal you want to chase, yeah. Do it. Give it you everything and follow it. You've got to do it. I mean, the number of conversations myself and my husband had about us both giving up, you know, professions. Um, so again, he out. had a, a job in between becoming a musician in did he? Same yeah, as so you. He had progressed through the banking world and he'd become a regional bank manager and, you know, fair credit to my husband. He was absolutely brilliant at his job and they didn't want to lose him, actually. He, he could have just gone as high up the ladder as he wanted to really. But again, he just, his heart wasn't in it. He was a, mm. a drummer, you know, but the number of conversations we had about, you know, giving up all that financial security and, and that kind of thing to, to the, go into the world <laughs> of professional musicians. But, you know, we just decided we've got to go for it. And if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll find a way, you know, somehow, but we couldn't live with that, you know, not having gone for it. So did you chase the professional goal together then? Yes, we did. Well, it's, it's funny and we joke about it because the plan was supposed to be that Mike was going to hand in his notice so that he could become a full-time musician and I was going to carry on my job part-time. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, the moment Mike handed in his notice, I was, just, I was jealous. I, just, <laughs> I don't want to be the same as you. So I just came home from work and said to Mike, no, I'm going to hand in my notice as well. And do you know what? I'm really glad we did because actually we both needed to be going for it, completely focused, full on um, to make it work. I don't think it would have worked with that, with that further distraction. You know, mm. we just go for it, which we did. Yeah. And so influences on you as you were crafting your way would i mean your your music certainly fuses jazz and and funk and even some bop in there as well doesn't it there's the styles and elements and licks of all of those kind of genres in there so were there any particular heroes that you look towards and loved the sound of well i, I mean my style of music and my my tastes are so wide you know i mean it's all sort of based around jazz but um it, it is just a very wide range of styles but I mean I do have some heroes obviously but there's so many of them I, I wouldn't know where to start but um, some of my key heroes um, are UK saxophonist Andy Shepard mm -hmm. 
um, who we we followed for many many years, and he just has this tone on his saxophone that's just you can tell it's like from the heart. So that was one of my biggest influences. Um, but then I've always loved funk, so I've listened to a lot of Maceo Parker, and then of course I discovered Pee Wee Ellis. Um, and I was lucky enough to study with both Pee Wee and Andy Shepherd. So they've kind of guided me really and, and helped me shape my own sort of sound. And what's wonderful often is when I listen to my playing, I, I can hear their styles mm. in there. You know, obviously I'm not, it's not like I'm not copying their style, but it's become incorporated into my own um, style. And, and I love that. Um, but there's so many more as well, like Courtney Pine. I love um, Gerald Albright. I love. Um, I had him on the show recently. What a lovely, what a lovely gentleman! What an absolute gorgeous gentleman he is. Amazing. Well, I love his music. I, I mean, mm. I've loved Gerald Albright's music for ages. Um, but of course, I also love all the the great jazz singers. You know, like Billie Holiday and, and Ella and, and all of that. And I love that whole era of jazz. So it's such a wide range, really. So when when you and Mike made this this big jump, did you find it hard to? knock down the doors to get gigs to break onto the scene because obviously being in and around London it's a very saturated environment to try and get into isn't it so how did you go about getting your securing those first gigs well it's funny really because looking back I can't really remember the process I do remember working really hard and, and I think we we sort of we started off with the small gigs and we've been really lucky to to be really busy actually mm. from the moment we became professional musicians I don't think there's ever been a time when we haven't been incredibly busy apart from during lockdown of course um, well at least you're not alone in that period <laughs> oh, exactly <laughs> it's not as if no one's just booking you two <laughs> oh, no no I'm sure. but there we go um but no um so yeah, we had. Um, I suppose we sort of broke into our local scene and got a lot of the the small gigs, you know. Um, but as time went on, we were trying to sort of leave the smaller gigs behind and build this reputation and putting out albums. I think we were just chipped away at it, really, just to very slowly but surely progress up the ladder. And I think you know, as the sort of bigger gigs came in, we got rid of more of the smaller gigs, so we could be seen to be making this kind of you know progression, if you like, and. Um, but yeah, it was just literally chipping away continually. Yeah. Which is the nature of the beast, really, isn't it? Nothing comes easy with these gigs. You've got to keep knocking on promoters' doors, clubs' doors, getting your name first and front and centre to be seen and get those gigs. It's, 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 a, it's a hard industry, isn't it? It's a hard industry. I, I, I say this every day, really. I mean, this industry is very, very tough. And I think if, if you're not in this business, you you don't really understand i mean mm. that chipping away part of it is it's a full-time job in itself you know and it, and it can be a bit demoralizing you know when you won't get replies of or course don't want you i mean people always on social media is a good example isn't it that people see the 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 nice side of it they see the successes you know where you are gigging and it all looks very glamorous and very wonderful but what they don't see is behind the scenes you know all the knockbacks you're getting rejections yeah yeah. And, you know, and it can be quite tough on confidence. And I think as creative people, generally, we are quite sensitive beings um, and it doesn't take much to knock us, really. So you are forever sort of picking yourself up, dusting yourself down. Um, but I have learned, you know, never to give up because, you know, sometimes you can get knocked back after knocked back for year after year. But eventually you might just get that in room.
and we've finished off our first part of the interview with Kim with one of her reggae influence numbers, Highland Mike, and more from Kim and of course her music in a short while's time on Straight Ahead. American-born saxophonist Dan Reinstein first began playing at the uh, old 606 Club when it was still on the King's Road when he was still a medical undergraduate. The gig early this week included repertoire from some of the best-loved jazz standards from the 50s through the 90s and included numbers from the likes of Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock and Horace Silver. Here's just a little teaser of how great Dan sounds with him playing his version of Moaning, taken from a stream with us here at the club from a few months back. recently been playing tracks from the gorgeous album Wonderful World from Chris Standring, an album full of creative takes on some divine standards. And here is Chris with his take on Autumn in New York. (laughs) 
Just was that Chris Standring along with a full string orchestra recorded at Abbey Road and Autumn in New York. Right, we are going to go back to the second and final part of our interview with this week's guest, saxophonist and vocalist Kim Cipher, starting off the final part of the interview with another one of her numbers, Upper West Side Blues. Straight ahead with David Lewis. <laughs> Thank you. 
social media, it's, it's weird. It, it has a lot of benefits without a doubt, but where performers and creators of any kind in years gone past, what they didn't have was this immediate feedback. I mean, somebody could be at a gig of yours and literally be tweeting there and then that they're not liking it. And, you know, they don't realise that the, the, the harm that comments and, and tweets and social media postings like that can actually do. So it's that immediacy, you know, on radio, for instance, in days of gone past, if I played a record somebody didn't like, I wouldn't know there and then. But mm. now it's immediate. You kind of, I suppose it's a bonus. You know where you stand, but it's a, it's a tough one. So I do know what you mean. It is a tough one. I mean, obviously, it's good when things are going well and, you know, people are, I hope, more likely to sort of tweet and share on social media that they're having a great time, you know, which is what you want. I think what what gets me more than anything is sometimes when people don't have to have accountability, mm. like on YouTube, for example, you know, and, and I, I feel for musicians that, you know, spend a lot of time and a lot of money mm. on putting out a new track and a new video, perhaps that, you know, they've poured their heart and soul into and, you know, you release it out there and within seconds, somebody's given it a thumbs down and it's like, there's no accountability. You don't know who they are or why they've given it a thumbs down, but somebody's just sitting at a computer thinking, I'm going to give that a thumbs down. And what they don't realize is that, you know, it just breaks your heart because you might have spent, you know, months putting this project together and then you just get that. But hey, ho, you've got to have a thick skin. Uh, uh, and oftentimes I, I think it's the ones that are too scared to stand above the parapet themselves. It's always mm -hmm. probably that's what they wanted to do, but never had the courage to go and pursue it. And they're almost envious of anybody that is doing it and performing and making yeah, music. You know, it's the nature of what it is. Yeah, but I wish there could be some accountability. You know, then it might stop people just randomly doing these things. What they they just don't see the the sort of the negative effect mm. it has because this business is you know is, should all be all about positivity. You know, we're in Absolutely. it. To bring joy and spread. yeah, you want it to entertain us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. we we turn to you to be uplifted and be made happy and forget our problems. That's you know, perform for me. That's what we come to gigs for. Absolutely, and it's like I, you know, you not everybody's going to like what you do and like your music, and I totally get that. But it's like, well, if you don't like it, then move on. You know, fine, move on. Yeah, move on somewhere else. That's absolutely fine. But. So, of course, you you performed at some lovely places and venues, the Cheltenham Jazz Festival. Clearly, obviously, being a Cheltenham girl helps. Uh, the Clio Stables, you you the stables you've performed oh, there, haven't you? That was amazing. Yeah, it's meant to be a gorgeous venue to perform at, isn't it? It was, it was brilliant. And I mean, I did have the absolute pleasure to meet Cleo as well, which was, um, which was incredible. So, Oh, she, was she there on the gig? Well, she was hoping to come to the gig. It, it's a bit of a, a long story, but um, a friend of mine, um, Sheila Harrod, has a connection with Cleo to do with a choir that she runs. Um, and Sheila was coming along. So I, we had that connection. So it was hoped that Cleo was going to be well enough to um, to come on over to my gig that night. But um, sadly, she wasn't. But um, I did get invited over to the house to have a little chat with her. Oh, fantastic. Great memories, eh? Yeah, absolutely. That's one for the scrapbook. So you, you recorded, I think, two studio albums. Is that right? Yes, I have. The first of which was obviously the debut album, Make Believe, back in 2016. And, and why was that the time to make the first album? And what drew you to that point? I just think um, at that point we were ready to sort of get the album out there, really. I mean, it felt like it was a very, very long time coming, but it was at a point when I could focus on it and sort of get my message across, you know, that I wanted to get across in my first album. So it was just, it was just, we were ready to do it. So, yeah. And it wasn't long after that, the second album came about, 2019, just a couple of years later and clearly just before lockdown, I guess you managed to get the album out. Did you tour it before the lockdown? 
yes, luckily we'd sort of done the tour. The tour, the tour was still going on. There were still dates, um, you know, booked in, but obviously it ground to a halt. But it was kind of on the the sort of tail end of that tour anyway. So it was lucky, really. Yeah. And you mentioned a little early on during the interview that uh, your mother passed away suddenly, I believe, and I'm assuming that was from a brain tumour, because I know yeah. you certainly started the the the. the, the, the the, pro- the proceeds from the second album, and I think from the tour, have been going towards the Brain Tumor Charity, which I know has raised a good sum of money already for the, the charity, isn't it? Yeah, I always like to have a, a fundraising project on the go, and it seemed right, really, just to to support the Brain Tumor Charity. Um, and so I did a separate little project, actually, which was um, a project called For Mum, which included, write- included writing a song and a- creating an animated video um, called All For You, which was basically showing how much my mum had influenced my life and how she still influences my life. Um, and we also did a, a one-off gig as well in London at the Pizza Express Live with um, our special guest, Ray Gelato, which was amazing. <laughs> oh, I can imagine Ray Gelato. <laughs> oh, what a perfect synergy. Oh, it was just absolutely brilliant. And it all raised money for the Brain Tumor Charity and it was a sellout show. And, you know, it was literally days before we were plunged into lockdown. So it was the last gig we did. Um, before before the world stopped. Now, reading about you as well, you even did a, a private function for Theresa May, didn't you? Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Actually, we've, and we've since been back and done another one for her. Really? Yeah. So again, just the world, the path that a musician's career can take. I mean, who would have thought that when you were in those years as a teacher and your husband's a bank manager, suddenly you're doing private functions? I know, but this is what we love about, you know, what we do. There's no day is the same, you know, it's mm. all different there's so much variety and you never know what's gonna what's gonna come next and I mean when we got our first booking for Theresa May it was like oh my goodness she was actually prime minister at the time and I mean regardless of what you know your politics no 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 exactly sorry (laughs) that so was she a fan of yours I mean I I must admit I never had Theresa May down as being a a funk and jazz woman I I don't know why but I should take my blinkers off and not judge a book but there you go uh, well, I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, she did book me with my jazz quartet. So it was an evening of jazz. It was a very intimate evening mm-hmm. um, with just her sort of close friends and family. And it was really, really lovely. How amazing. Yeah, it was brilliant. And then we've just um, been back and, and done another one for her. So she obviously enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Yeah, return bookings. We like return bookings. Absolutely. And I've mentioned that you seem to have been very busy recently. And of course, of recent, I've seen your name crop up in association with Fiona Ross as well, who's just released her new album, Red Flags and High Heels. And you're on, on that album as well. So have you worked with Fiona in the past? Well, so Fiona is absolutely brilliant. She is not only a fantastic musician and singer and just all round legend, but she's just one of the nicest people I know as well. And it's great to have you know, like a jazz sister in this world. Um, so we've known each other for a little while. I was lucky enough um, that she asked me to um, guest on her her previous album as well. And that was the first time I kind of worked with her. Mm. And I mean, we, we just clicked, you know, we're just like sisters. Um, so she got me back to be a guest on her, her latest album and uh, her album launch gig as well, which was brilliant. So yeah, always a great honour to work with Fiona. What I love about Fiona also is the fact that the journalism side of her career, not only the musician side, the the amount of effort and time she gives to the journalistic side of jazz, which clearly appeals to me, but she's made a real niche and career for herself within that world as as well, hasn't she? Yes, she has. And I mean, she's done quite a lot of um, writing, which has really Mm. benefited me, you know, like she's reviewed um, some of my gigs for me and she's just really been supportive. And I mean, with her new initiative, Women in Jazz Media, which mm, I'm mm. very proud to be a part of, 
um, it's allowed me to branch out into that journalism as well, which is a side that I'm really enjoying. It's nice to have that as a, as a little software. So you're writing as well now? Yeah, so I've, I've had quite a lot of things um, published now on the Jazz Journalists Association and Jazz in Europe and Kind of Jazz. I've done quite a lot of album reviews and interviews, um, which is nice because I really like celebrating other musicians. Mm. And it's, it's just nice to have, you know, an outlet really where you can do that. When I read good album reviews, they leave me astounded. I don't know how they have the quality of, that they can emit the words in such a style and form, a good album review, you know what I mean? It's got a certain panache of style to yeah. it. And, and these journalists can see through an album and just summarise it brilliantly. Yeah. And that's not easy. That really is not an easy job. No, absolutely. But, but also as well, what I like about doing that is that, you know, I think there's a lot of um, writers out there that are quite critical. And, and it's again, it's like if I don't like an album, I'd probably choose not to review it because the last thing I want to do is be critical mm. of an artist, you know, who's, again, put their heart and soul into something. So I always make sure it's albums that I, I absolutely love. Mm. And then it's wonderful to, to be able to express yourself, as you say, find the right words to sort of sum it up and, and get people to, to listen to it. Yeah. And the other um, skill that has only recently come to me, I didn't realise, I was sitting playing a track and I was reading some liner notes and I suddenly thought, liner notes? Now that's yeah. like summarising an album in just a few hundred words. Yeah. And that when they write, uh, there's a couple I've had recently that stand, to my, uh, stand out in my mind. And I was just thinking to have, the, again, the skill to be able to do liner notes. It's amazing. Mm. It really is. Yeah. It's this, the journalistic side really appealed to me recently. It's, it, and you realise it's not, because you see words on a page and you just think, oh, it's easy, anyone can do that. And you suddenly realise if I had to sit down and write that, no, 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 that's not easy. Well, I must admit, I'm still learning <laughs> and I do struggle to sort of um, get down the word count because um, I, I have quite a lot of things to say. <laughs> sort of has, has writing been something you've done regularly through your life or, or is it just something that was latent and you've sort of pulled out recently? Yeah, again, it's just recent. I think, again, you know, when we went into lockdown, everybody tried to sort of branch out in, into things and it was something that I thought, well, I like writing because I like writing song lyrics and um, you know, things like that. And I've written a few books, actually, although they've never been published. Um, but so I just thought it was just something else to do. Um, and again, you know, we also branched out into having hosting a radio show. So I think we just looked at ways of being able to keep connected with people and do things, you know, when we're not necessarily on stage. Yeah. Well, out of all that, I can tell you, radio is the easiest one. Radio is so simple. Sit down, open a mic, play your records, chat. It's so, it's so brilliant to play all your favourite music. It's, it's not bad. It's pretty good fun, isn't it, right? It is brilliant. I mean, it is quite time consuming. I mean, initially when, when we got offered it, we were doing it weekly and, and we loved it. But it was um, a bit heartbreaking. I think we got to about our 25th show and then we were out back gigging again. And, and we just thought we can't keep this up every week. So we have had to go down to once a month now. But we just didn't want to give it up, you know, because it is just literally so much fun. It really is, I know. That's why I've got the smile on my face, as you can tell. <laughs> so what's the plans coming up then? What's what's I know you said a few of the sort of the larger Christmas gigs have been postponed possibly. But what's in line for you and Mike now then? What what are the plans imminently? Well, we've got some new music in the pipeline. I have been back in the studio and recorded um, some tracks. One of them is um, to do with my latest fundraising project, which is called Bring Your Own Sunshine. Um, and that's been inspired by a, a late friend um, who was a great supporter of my music. Um, her name was Karen Jackson. Um, and it's raising money for a, a cancer charity called Maggie's. And I'm actually really excited to put the single out next year. It'll be on the 1st of February, which was Karen's birthday. 
um, because it's a very different kind of track. It's got um, it's got a gospel choir on it. The oh, CK gospel choir. Um, and it's got my good friend and guitarist BD Lenz from New York on it as well. So it's 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 an exciting project. Um, and then after that, I've got a few other tracks as well to put out. Some tracks that I composed during lockdown. So um, those are the kind of the the plans, as well as obviously keeping gigging. I've, I'm lucky enough to have recently done a sellout show at Ronnie Scott, so I'd love to get another gig there. And of course, the Six O Six Club. I've got some you know clubs that I'd love to work at. There are some lovely clubs around with them all back open now and five, six yeah. days a week, you know, you know, down at six, it's often twice on a Sunday, the good old legendary twice on a Sunday gigs at the six are back now. So there's so much good music to be had and heard. And it turns out the lockdown was in its odd way, kind of good for musicians. I know at the time it clearly couldn't be seen that way, but the fact you said now you created music, recorded music, and you've got a, a, a library now, a catalog of music ready to release. It was mm. so clearly used it in a good and positive way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like everybody else, I think when it first sort of hit us, it, it was a shock to the system. And mm. actually, it was the first time in our lives when we did feel um, the worry of, you know, not having um, income mm. coming in. <laughs> that was not nice. Um, but taking that out of it, you know, I actually quite enjoyed the opportunity to have time to, mm. to do other things and just to actually take time to breathe and just enjoy other things like growing tomatoes. <laughs> I've seen so many jazzers turn to gardening during lockdown. I really have. <laughs> I've seen them. I became, I became addicted to it. I mean, I've got time, time to do anything. So I Actually, I'm seeing you laughing. I did grow my first ever um, tomato plants during lockdown. I'm Ooh. no gardener at all. It's great. I know this morning you come out and you see the little flowers and then you see a little bit of fruit and now I've got tomato and I can actually eat what I've grown. It's, the only thing is, because um, I was caught out because I've got very bad eyesight and if I don't wear my glasses, I can't see anything. And I planted a seed that I thought was parsley and it grew and it didn't look like parsley. But so... I, I thought, oh, it must be some kind of exotic parsley. So every day I'd go out and I'd pull a few leaves off and I'd put it into my salad and I'd think, okay, I'm eating parsley. It doesn't taste like parsley, but it is parsley. Anyway, then one day I went out and this parsley plant had flowers on it so I took a photo of it and sent it to my mother-in-law and she said, that's not parsley, that's pansy. <laughs> and actually pansy is toxic. So I spent this lockdown eating pansy leaves. So it's a miracle I'm still here. Actually. Clearly not as toxic as they're saying. Maybe it's all been a rumour all these years. You were the human guinea pig, little did you know. I know. But anyway, so top tip, if you are going to grow your own vegetables and plants and things, you know, always read the label with your glasses on. Wear glasses, yeah. <laughs> so I always like to point out where people can find you. It's nice and easy to locate you on socials, isn't it? You're Kim Cypher Sachs on Instagram, at Kim Cypher, and the spelling is C-Y-C-Y-P-H, uh, on Twitter, easy to find on Facebook, and you're over on Bandcamp, and you've got the website too, kimcypher.com. So it's nice and easy to catch up with what you're doing, and it looks like you keep your website up to date as well, having been on there today. Well, but I'm glad you said that because actually uh, it's been on my to-do list to update my website for about three months now. <laughs> no, believe me, I've seen many, many other websites that are nowhere near in as good a state as yours. So yours is not in bad shape at all. 
I do try. <laughs> so you brought a real ray of sunshine onto my into my world this week. Oh. Thank you. It's been lovely to get you on. I was looking forward to sitting down and chatting with you. And speaking to a woman in jazz is always fascinating because, you know, it's not necessarily the easiest gig for women to break out and being sax players sometimes, you know. But it's lovely to sit down, have the time to talk with you and, and see a smiling face and hear the radiant happiness in your voice. It sounds lovely. Oh, well, that, that's absolutely brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm always really grateful for, you know, anybody that gives me an opportunity to talk about my music. So thank you very much for having me. Playing plenty of music during the show as well, and we can, of course, thank Fiona, Fiona Ross, for putting us in touch because I knew Fiona from when I had her on the show, and I, I saw that you were on her album. I said, "Do you think possibly that oh, Kim might be interested?" Oh. And she was like, "Of course, no problems." And so, Fiona, oh, if you're listening. Yeah, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you for sorting thank us out. She's a good girl. Thank she you. really is. She's got a good phone book as well, and I need to get in touch with people. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, thank you so much for coming on Straight Ahead. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Mm, well, sometimes I go out by myself and I look across the water and I think of all the things what you're doing And in my head I paint a picture Cause since I've come on home Well, my body has been a mess I miss your ginger hair And the way you like to dress Won't you come over Stop making a fool of me why don't you come over by the Think of all the things 
things what you're doing And in my head I paint a picture Cause since I've come on home Well, my body has been a mess I miss your ginger hair And the way you like to dress Won't you come over Stop making a fool of me Why don't you come over Across the water. And finishing off our interview with this week's guest, Kim Cipher, and that was her take on Valerie. Don't forget, follow on her social media pages so that you know what Kim's up to and where she's gigging and performing. A rising star on the UK and US jazz scene is saxophonist Reuben Fox. He's already performed with legends including Wynton Marsalis, John Baptiste, and Roy Hargrove. Ruben came through the ranks of the Tomorrow's Warriors and studied at the Trinity LeBanc Conservatoire for Music and then the renowned Performing Arts Conservatory Juilliard in New York City. With a sound kind of similar to heavyweights such as Ben Webster, Coleman Hawkins and Don Bias, we're about to listen to A Brighter Day, a track taken from Ruben's debut set called Introducing Ruben Fox.
Ahead with the 606 Club and David Lewis.
I'd mentioned that we were introducing slowly into the show during the course of December some Christmas songs, and that was a second Christmas track on this week's show, taken from the beautiful album Gabriel Latchin from a couple of years ago called I'll Be Home for Christmas. It's an 11-track album full of all the festive songs you could ever want with a great lineup of, uh, obviously, Gabriel on the piano, Dario Dalecci on the double bass, and Josh Morrison was on the drums. And we just listened to, as if you need me to tell you, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And uh, earlier this week, Joe Harrop released another single from her fantastic new album, and this is the current single, Weather the Storm. The snow is falling again Covering all And we continue to be Just you, just me Nothing we can do 
Weather the Storm is a bonus track on Joe's current album, The Heart Wants. And Joe, of course, will be back with me in just a couple of weeks' time. In fact, we're bringing it forward one week to make sure that we can do our Christmas show just before the big day. And we've got loads of great Christmas songs to bring you. That's in a couple of weeks' time. But a song that I know that uh, Joe would love is what we've got lined up next from Candice Springs here, along with Nora Jones and the album The Women Who Raise Me. This is Angel Eyes.
facts are commonly clear. I gotta find who's now number one and why. Next week on the show, my guests, yes, I've got two of them, two for next week, is Ed Barber and Tara Minton, the bass player and harpist. They've got a new album out called Two for the Road. We're going to be talking all about that next week, but I thought I'd give you a little taster of what you can expect to find on the album. Here is their version of Caravan. stars above that shine so bright the mystery of their faded light that shines upon our caravan sleep upon my shoulder as sands so I may keep the memory of our caravan
Sadly, time for just two more songs on this week's show. The first of those is a guest that Joe and I had on during the course of the summer, and it's Jay Monet, Come What May. You have the cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. Yeah, there's that up turn. And the grin of impetuous youth Take 
goes to Kim Seifer, our guest on this week's show, and also thank you for listening. For gig details, don't forget, go over to our website, 606club.co.uk, and I hope you can join me next week when I uh, welcome onto the show the bassman Ed Barber and also the harpist Tara Minton. But we play out this week with a track from the album Cinematic from Carl Eastwood, and this is Bullet. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week for more jazz and conversation. <laughs>